and welcome to episode 9 of My Dog Will Eat My Face. In this episode, I'm going to discuss a rather simple thing at first glance, and that is danger. And how I've handled it to date. So, before I get into that, however, I want to give a quick update uh, with respect to my medical well-being. I know this might be getting boring at this point, but it is sort of a point, the point of this podcast. Uh or at least one of the points of this podcast. But uh, uh, as of last Monday, my nurse visited me, and it was subsequent to me experiencing some of the worst symptoms of my entire life. Uh, My decline has become dramatically worse uh, rather rapidly within just a couple of weeks, I would say. Uh, The hospice folks tried additional medication to help it but it was sort of like throwing Cheetos at a battleship it didn't do any good it, would, it just it, nothing happened when I took the uh, different and additional medication so those physical symptoms that are, are so much worse is really the edema which is causing Swelling, very painful swelling in the feet and legs, and also in the belly, and has unfortunately led me to weigh the most I ever have in my entire life. I gained 17 pounds of water weight within one week, actually, which is just unreal and disgusting. The Edema also goes heavily into my lungs, and you're probably going to hear it at one point or another within this podcast. (laughs) But essentially when I breathe, a lot of times, probably most if not all the time, it feels like I'm just trying to breathe through a wet sponge because there's so much fluid in my lungs. And every once in a while I've got to cough it up, which I know is charming. And beautiful, so I apologize in advance if I do that at some point in this podcast, but it is sort of medically necessary, otherwise, I'm just going to be gurgling on it. Um, it's not contagious, it's just fluid that is the symptom of my heart being weaker and unable to pump the fluid in my body, and so really, that's the primary cause is my heart's just getting weaker. And all this in addition to everything that I described, it causes extreme fatigue, where in some cases I could fall asleep almost anywhere. Uh, In the shower I could fall asleep. Uh, In the middle of a conversation I could fall asleep. So the fatigue is so bad, my body is so tired that I just kind of conked out without any intention to do so. And that might sound wonderful. Uh, at first it was wonderful because my life was plagued with insomnia for most of my life. But now it's almost um, 
it's just well, it's not almost. It is the complete inverse. It's it's just ridiculous. Where uh, I can pretty much conk out at any time. And so I spoke with the nurse just recently, within the last week, within the last couple of days. She said there's nothing more they can do. The medications clearly didn't work. The additional medications they tried did not work. And that's it. There's nothing more they can do. Yes, it's gotten worse. That's what they predicted was going to happen. And it's going to continue to get worse uh, until it just kills me. So that was the lovely update that I had received from my nurse this week, uh, just within the last couple days. It's basically, in short, hopeless. Um, My symptoms are where they are now, and they're only going to get worse um, as time goes on. So that leads me back to the topic of today's podcast, which is danger. Obviously, I'm in a very dangerous situation. And I want to discuss how I've handled danger to date, because I think the way I've handled it so far is not going to be able to remedy my current situation. So I'll provide you some interesting examples from my past with respect to how I've handled danger, and you'll see a clear pattern. Um, And then I really want to discuss, where do I go from there? How do I address this danger differently? Because I think I have to. So... With all that being said, let me go ahead and move forward on how I handled danger to date. So despite the fact that I would say New York City has been like a second home to me, I've been there many, many times, and I, I truly love that town. It's, it's always been a pleasure to visit there, and I, I've never had an issue. I've, I've never honestly been in a real direct danger there. Certainly, I've ended up in the wrong neighborhood and got some interesting looks, but um, be that as it may, I've never felt any real danger there. Uh, I've never been mugged or anything like that, you know, so nothing like that has happened despite the uh, numerous times I I have indeed been there. Uh, Now, I've been to also Chicago numerous times, mainly for work, uh, but also for family. I uh, have a family that lives out there in the area, so I've also been visiting Chicago since I was a wee little boy. Uh, up until very recently. So uh, that's also a a town uh, here in the States that I quite often visit. 
And it is unfortunately a place where I did feel extreme danger at one point when I was there. Actually for work, I was there with one colleague. And this is going back several jobs back, but within my same career. Um, where we were staying in Chicago to visit a customer, actually. And so what actually happened is <laughs> this is going to be revealing and, and I'm somewhat reluctant to share some of this because it's somewhat embarrassing but I was online in my boredom in my hotel room in Chicago and I joined a, what was at the time a prominent chat room for hookups and I uh, eventually decided to try hooking up um, with one particular guy. And, and oh, gosh, um, that reminds me. I don't think I've even said this yet. Uh, I uh, have actually the romantic proclivity, so to speak, for members of the same sex as opposed to the opposite. So... Uh, I hope that doesn't shock or dismay any of my listeners, and if it does, I really don't care. Um, but anyway, so yes, it was going to be a planned hookup with another guy uh, here in the city of Chicago, and I was expecting, you know, nothing bad to happen. Honestly, I, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I've done this many times before online. It was nothing new. But once I gave him my hotel room and he came knocking at the door, um, I looked through the people <laughs> and what I saw was completely different than the picture that I saw online. Now, unfortunately, this was not a meeting in a public place. This was right at my hotel room. And to be blunt, this uh, particular guy had a beard and I, I suffer heavily from uh, paganophobia <laughs> I don't like beards <laughs> they, they are disgusting to me so I looked at the people and I saw one of the most disgusting things I could possibly imagine <laughs> he could have been a sumo wrestler but shaven for all I care but not a, have a yeah not have a beard uh, so I didn't know what to do. Uh, what I decided to do was to hide in my hotel room and not answer the door. Just like thinking, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> um, and I thought that would work. I thought this guy would just go away. But, oh my lord, to my horror, that is not what happened. He pounded continuously and started to call my cell phone. Um, I figured I'd answer it. And he says, dude, I'm at your door. What's going on? And I faked it and said, oh my gosh, I gave you the wrong hotel room. It's, it's the one upstairs. Like I said, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm in room 546, not 446 or something stupid like that. So he laughed at me and said, oh, you're an idiot. But okay, I'll head over there now. And I thought that 
would maybe spare me some time, I don't know, to get out of there, I don't know, maybe he'd give up. But, lo and behold, he figured out somehow that that was a, not the right hotel room. <laughs> and came right on back to my door, pounding on it, and wouldn't let it go. He started calling again, this time I'm not answering. Uh, and oh my God, I realized he might be able to hear the cell phone ringing through the door. Eventually, to my horror, he starts banging on the door to where the padlock comes ajar. And it's released to only the chain lock. He actually kicked open the, the, uh, the uh, hotel room door. And the only thing between me and this person was a limsy chain lock that I saw this hand reaching through the door reaching up and trying to fling open and unlock the chain lock to come into the hotel room where I was so much to my terror I thought oh my god I'm about to be raped I'm not even kidding that I think was about to happen this person was steadfast on breaking into the hotel room. So I, in a panic, called my best friend back home. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm hiding in the corner of my hotel room. There's some dude trying to break into my hotel room and, and I don't know what to do. And he says, you're an idiot. <laughs> Why are you calling me? Hang up the phone now and call 911. <laughs> so I was like, oh, good idea. <laughs> so I hang up the phone, but I don't call 911. Instead, I call hotel front desk and ask them to send up security. I don't want to have the police coming over and cause a big stir. So, you know, I'm hiding. I'm trying to run away from this situation as best as I can. And eventually police security comes up, get him out of the building. So there's a break there, I'm thinking, where I can get away. So I call my colleague who flew out to Chicago with me, told him exactly what was happening. <laughs> he said exactly, well, get, let's get the F, you know, full spelled out word that I can't say on my podcast. Let's get the F out of here then. <laughs> so... I said, great. So we checked out as quickly as we could. Well, this dude was briefly away from the hotel, uh, thanks to hotel security. And we decided to go to the Magnificent Mile, because, you know, when you're almost raped, that's what you want to go do, is go shopping, right? You know, it's, that's what I do, apparently. So we just went there and went shopping until our flight back home. But... Uh, <laughs> That was a pretty dangerous situation I put myself in to where I am absolutely certain I was facing rape if that door opened. It was completely terrifying. So, in that example of danger, I would say, you know, when you look at Flee or, or fight, or whatever it's called. Fight or flee, whatever that common phrase is. 
I'm pretty sure I qualified for flea. <laughs> because I not only hid in the corner of my hotel room like an idiot, but then as soon as I could, in the brief moment I had, I fled the building and went out of the out of the area where I couldn't be found, you know, on Michigan Avenue. Um, and then finally, airport out of the city. <laughs> so that's an example I wanted to share <clears throat> of danger that I faced, wherein I definitely qualified under the flea category. I, I was running away from it. And that's why I share this story, not because it's, it's made me scary, which it is, and to some people, yeah, you might be grossed out by it. Again, I don't care. Deal with it. And again, hey, don't worry. Nothing happened. There's nothing, you know, gross in this story, per se. But, yeah, it was terrifying. And uh, I really want to use that as, as my first example of me dealing with danger. It's not the first time I've dealt with danger. It's just a prominent example <laughs> In which my answer to that problem was to flee. So another example with respect to how I've handled danger is quite unusual. It's actually one of my involvements in a, what shall we say, a bar altercation <laughs> also known as a bar fight yes my friends little old me has been involved in several bar fights now this example I share because actually some of my friends who are listening to this right now might remember this this goes back though oh golly maybe 20 years this is, this is a long time ago but we had just gone to a, actually a chain restaurant, believe it or not. I forget the name, but it's something like, um, golly, you know, almost like uh, the bar version of Ruby Tuesday. And it, it wasn't Ruby Tuesday or something awful like that. But it, it was just a, like a sports bar that's a common chain here in the country. And I seriously don't even remember the name of it. I'm sure if I heard it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, it was that, blah, blah, blah. But at this point, sorry, I don't remember the name of the bar. But it's 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 a very family-friendly place, I would even say. It's not anything uh, nefarious or, or seedy. So I went there with some colleagues of mine uh, with whom I had worked at the time to celebrate, actually, some of our work in the local political caucuses that we were lobbying for our particular industry. And we had some success in that area, so the owner of the company decided to treat us all well and said, hey, you guys should all celebrate, go to the bar and have a few drinks on me, on the company, and, and relax and, and be recognized for your hard work. So, hey, that's what we did. 
when lo and behold, within this bar, within this family restaurant sort of environment, were two enormous gentlemen, uh, very large men, who were kind of wandering around, wanting to pick fights with people. Now, God knows why. They could have been on drugs. It could have been a, a game hazing, you know. Maybe they were just um, stupid and crazy. I, you know, I have no idea. But for whatever reason it was, they were kind of wandering around wanting to pick fights with people. And so eventually they bumped into uh, a colleague and friend of ours named Michael. Uh, I feel safe sharing his name here because I seriously doubt he'll listen to this podcast. But to describe Michael is he's basically your quintessential young Republican. <laughs> he's, he's not a kid, don't get me wrong, but he's, he's probably, you know, in his 30s at this time. Um, really clean cut. One of those types of guys that wears, you know, a suit or a jacket at least every single day of his life. And conservative to a T. And was actually really helpful in this political process we were going through with. At least when we dealt with the Republican caucuses. So, anyway, he was the most benign, hardcore Republican you could imagine. And one of these big guys bumped into him. And Michaels goes, just chimes in and goes, Excuse you? And that was enough. These two guys <laughs> turned around at our little group here. So I'm sitting there as well. You know, I'm sitting there probably two people away from Michael. Amongst our, amongst our other fr- our friends and colleagues. Not many of us. Probably like four. Maybe five. Not a lot. Um... So they turn around, and next thing we know, they're starting to pick a fight with our table, and Michael in particular, the most benign little Republican you could ever imagine. And so we're just trying to play it cool, like, guys, we don't want any trouble. Because these two guys were huge, gigantic guys. I mean, 300 pounds of muscle. Uh, I would say at the time I probably weighed 120 pounds, a buck 20. I was a wafy little twinky thing. I was just, ugh. You know, you, you could break my neck like a chicken, some of my friends would say. And hey, one of my friends that would say that I know is listening to this podcast, so he'll get a hoot out of that. But anyway, um,. None of us had any business fighting these gentlemen, so we tried to play cool. It, it, it didn't matter. They, they kept pushing it. Eventually, yep, fists were thrown at my party at the table. A bunch of our uh, table tried to grab these guys to no avail. Bouncers came in, and I swear this turned into a roadhouse scene. It spilled into a pool room where there was breaking chairs and breaking tables, and these huge bouncers trying to fight these huge guys now, (laughs) trying to get them under control. 
And I mean, literally, there's chairs flying, breaking, people landing on tables, shattering, pool tables breaking, <laughs> debris everywhere. And at our table, you know, glasses broken and all that. And, and what do I do? I decide my best survival technique is to be a bush. <laughs> I don't move. I just sit there holding my drink. Not moving. Hey, you know, I'm thinking, hey, it worked in Jurassic Park when T-Rex came after them. Don't make a move. They can't see you. And it worked. These two huge guys did not attack me. But unfortunately, I was a wimp. I didn't help my friends and my colleagues in the fight. So, hey, you know, I was a wimp. There's other words for it I won't use here. But it is what it is. I, I weighed a buck 20. What was I going to do? Give them a bad look? You know, what was I going to do? These guys were easily 300 plus pounds. And probably on drugs. I mean, they were, I think, on something like PCP or something, too. So, God only knows. So, I just sat there, holding my drink, thinking to myself, I am a bush. I'm just a gentle, idle bush. I'm not going to make a move. I sat there, just holding my beverage throughout this whole event. And it even got worse, but eventually the police came in, fired their non-lethal weapons on one of the guys, a taser. He goes down to the ground tasing. The other guy who was trying to pick fights gets up like he's going to charge the cop. And then the other guy who's being tased just says, Don't, man, this really hurts. <laughs> so we finally stop. And uh, these two gentlemen finally get arrested by a large uh, uh, cadre of police officers responding. And when they're escorted out of the uh, restaurant, everyone in the restaurant cheered, or bar, or whatever you want to call it. Everyone cheered. Because they were just problem children all night. So I had to give you know, a witness report, a police report, whatever. But throughout this whole fight, I was sort of involved in, you could say, because it was me and my colleagues that really started along the process. <laughs> my, my response was to just be a, be a tree or be a, be a bush, not move. <laughs> and God, it worked. So I share this as an example for... You know, even though I was standing still, I would say this is a good flea example. Certainly not a fight example. <laughs> so, um, I think this is a good example of me fleeing again from danger and trying not to engage with danger. Much like how I hid in my uh, hotel room in Chicago like an idiot. Here, again like an idiot, I just decided to not move and hold my beverage. Well, the whole bar around me turned into a roadhouse. <laughs> so, that's my handling of, uh, <laughs> of danger and fear uh, <clears throat> at that particular bar fight. Now, sadly, I do want to get into another 
bar incident example. God, this is not making me look like a, a, I don't know, outstanding citizen, but whatever. I'm going to continue. So, uh, the second example, I'll, I'll leave this as a little bit shorter than my first one. I, I just had a little too much fun telling the story of the uh, crazy bar fight in the suburban family friendly restaurant. <laughs> Anyway, uh, in this case, it, it, everything that happened also was, was indeed shorter, but, but it was a bit worse, to be honest. Uh, in this case, I was at a more seedy bar, for sure, with some friends. Uh, I will not deny that. It was, it was sort of a biker bar. One in which I had no business being there. My my demographic was <laughs> very much uh, uh, how how do I put this um, glaring <laughs> in that environment. That's a good way to put it. I was glaring uh, because I was so different. Um, you know, I I think I. You know, I had my nice work clothes on because this was after work one day. Um, but I wasn't with work friends. It was just with regular friends. But, you know, I still had my dress pants on, my, my button-up T-shirt. You know, I, I was dressed for work. <laughs> so uh, I went like that to a biker bar, and you can imagine how, how that looked. It, it was so stupid. One of my friends wanted to go, and I, I acquiesced to his request, so... Uh, needless to say, I figured, why not? I'm with friends. I'll be safe. And to begin with, that was exactly what it, what it was. Uh, you know, there was nothing interesting going on. It, it, people were pretty cool. It was safe. Well, lo and behold, another big guy. Why is always the big guy? This guy why, why can't, why can't a, uh, you know, a special person, a, a short special person, pick a fight with me. Oh, that sounds terrible now that I said that out loud. Anyway, um, another big guy is going around trying to start fights with individuals. Uh, and then because I think of, of my glaring presence within this bar, he, he decided to kind of come after me. And at this point, he was just talking smack. He was just throwing verbiage at me. I don't even remember to this day what it was. It was just stupid, you know, uh, kind of like yo mama jokes, basically, level of intelligence and, and insult thrown at me. Nothing I would actually ever care about. But I, I, for some whatever reason, decided to engage back a little bit. And what I did was I, I, I just stood there quietly. And, and when he was kind of quiet, waiting for me to respond, you know, kind of glaring down at me, I just squinted my eyes and looked him up and down slowly and all I said was I don't see a man standing here 
I see a little lady. From now on, I'm going to call you Beatrice. <laughs> now, his immediate reaction was, well, immediate. <laughs> it was swift uh, and very forthcoming. He just, Square just punched me right in the bracket, right in the face. <laughs> just popped me right there in the face. He actually didn't do it too hard. I think it was kind of a, um, I don't know, like a disciplinary action, you know what I mean? He was just, just telling me, come on, kid, pop, <laughs> right in the nose. And so immediately blood starts gushing out of my nose and my face. <laughs> and and what what do I do? Do I do I swing back? Do I dig in? Do I, you know, really throw some punches? <laughs> no, of course not. What I do is I I quickly notice I'm bleeding all over, uh, potentially all over my nice work clothes. So. I try to cover my my nose and the blood coming out. And I say, literally to this man, to Beatrice, who, who, now known, who is now known as Beatrice, I say to him, I'll be right back. <laughs> and run to the bathroom to try to control the bleeding. <laughs> so I run to this awful bathroom, but they've they've got towels in there, thankfully. And I'm stuffing them, you know, in my nose and trying to hold my nose back. It hurts. I can tell you probably broke it. You know, trying to do something with, with the bleeding. <laughs> and I, I, I will say, though, that I, I was true to my promise. I did come right back. Well, not right, but once the bleeding was somewhat under control. I did come back to where he was by the bar and and at that point he was no longer there. My friends, however, were there and their objective at that point was to get me the heck out of the bar as quickly as possible before I got killed. So I think still in this case, even though I was mouthy to this much larger man, um, and he, he disciplined me, so to speak. <laughs> um, even though I did that, I think, I think, uh, my reaction was still in the flea category because I, I first ran to the bathroom and then when I returned, I got the heck out of Dodge and left the, uh, left the bar with my friends. So that was a little more violent of a case, but you know, just one punch. It wasn't awful. I mean, it, uh, he could he could have knocked me out if he wanted. I'm sure. So he he was being nice about it. Let me put it that way. <laughs> but at that point, uh, I I think then I I fled again when I left with my friends. So I think it's a case again of me encountering danger. Uh, and fleeing. 
And I think I think that's why this other story is important. But when it comes to uh, bar fights, it's, it's another example. Even though blood was drawn, I, I still, I think, highly qualified for um, the flea category as opposed to fight. Now, in my final example here, I'm going to deviate a little bit uh, because I think in the first three examples of danger, which I've described here in this podcast, they've all been cases in which I've personally been in danger. And while that's still the main topic that I wish to focus on, I I think it's important to note how my behavior deviates so much, so much differently uh, when the danger honestly is to others. And there are examples of this riddled throughout my career. Within my 20 plus years, much of it was spent protecting the personal non-public information or the personally identifiable information of some 300 million people at least. So it was no small task. being as I was in the, in the legal compliance side, for years it was up to me to decide who had access to such sensitive data, what they could use it for, um, and to police that and to make sure that there was no misuse of such incredibly sensitive information on Americans. So that is certainly... Uh, an example of working in a in, in honestly a very dangerous situation, but a dangerous situation that could impact other individuals. And I was steadfast at it throughout my career. I never faltered. I never broke, so to speak. Uh, there were times when myself and my colleagues would have to protect this information from very dangerous individuals where I was involved in situations where I had to stay up until 4 a.m. nightly, go home, nap, return, repeat just to manage live situations and live threats to Americans' information to ensure that that information was safe and to ensure that that information was not misused on my watch. Now, there are some wonderful war stories I, I could share here, but I just simply can't. I can't get into the details any further as much as I'd love to, but for the protection of my employers and 
their confidentiality that they require for me and for the protection, honestly, of other individuals who were harmed um, themselves in this process of working with me to protect Americans' personal information. I simply cannot disclose that much more about that. But I think that this is a long example, a 20-year example that was exhibited throughout my career in that when danger faced others, I absolutely did not flee from it. I did not panic. What I did is I fought vehemently to protect that information. And that reaction, that reaction with respect to danger in my career is what really dictated my working style, I think. And what really helped me in my career to accelerate and to achieve things throughout my career. I started very lowly, uh, kind of as an experiment when I was in my 20s and this kind of work and moved upward to working for household names uh, doing this sort of thing and really accelerated and really did well at my career and I think it's because of in this case I fought I did not flee. So I only share this not for any purpose to be a braggart or something, but to say I've noticed that there is a significant difference when the danger is impacting others for some reason. Uh, and, and this may be true for most people, honestly. I don't think I'm very special or unique. I, I bet most people are the same way. If they see danger in someone else, they're, they're going to do what they can to protect them. If you see a little girl about to get hit by a car, you are going to jump in the street probably and push her out of the way and get hit by the car yourself. I think, I think most people would do that, you know, as a, as, as a common example. So, I only bring that up just because, yeah, it, it, it is a deviation from my fleeing reflex. So, thank goodness I'm not just a riddled coward <laughs> in my handling of danger. At least I am, to some sense, willing to confront it and to challenge it. It's always been easiest for me when it was other people's danger. But I bring this up because it's not only a deviation from my previous behavior, but I 
somehow wonder if I could use that same reflex to dictate how I handle danger for myself today as I battle this crisis of my slow, painful death. It's obviously the highest level of danger I've encountered. And fleeing is not an option. Clearly. So I wonder, is fighting even an option? Even though I'm told it's hopeless? A different kind of fighting? Fighting for a reason to stay alive, perhaps? Maybe there's some answers there. And that's the only reason why I bring that up. So, in closing, I think I want to say that it's rather obvious the same flea reflex that I have exhibited in my life, at least with these examples. And again, these are just a few uh, interesting <laughs> examples, for lack of a better word. Um, but certainly throughout my life, fleeing has been uh, a steadfast MO of mine when dealing with danger. Pretty much whenever I found it, I would try to ignore it, refuse to confront it head on. And this is exactly how I've handled my heart condition since it is a congenital condition. So I've been born with this and I've had this since I was a baby, obviously. And I've known about it and I've been told about it. And I've been told that it's gonna get worse. I've been told I need a replacement shunt. But all my life, I pretty much did the same thing as I did in the stories I provided here. I ran from it. I ignored it. I would not confront it. My issue was I vowed instead to not be disabled and to live a normal life. And hey, for the most part, that worked. I've certainly lived a, a normal life. Well, maybe a crazy life based on some of these stories. I don't know. So it depends on your opinion. <laughs> but as I face my current dangerous situation, I, I think it's pretty obvious I can't ignore it. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm reminded of my danger and my situation daily. I face constant pain, constant issues breathing, constant weakness in my legs and other limbs, constant fatigue up to and including almost uh, just, just uh, 
passing out routinely throughout the day where I've had medical people tell me to stay with them repeatedly just during their visit because I keep passing out. So fleeing is not going to happen wherever I go now at this point this condition is going to find me and show up wherever I may be and I say that the instincts are flee or fight and I don't know if fighting makes sense here either because I'm told there's nothing I can do So, in an effort to try to find some guidance with respect to this, I did as I promised. I think I said last week I was going to get a, uh, an unabridged version of Marcus Aurelius's meditations because I've only had uh, small uh, clips and, and, and citations of them in my possession. So I decided to go haul out and just get the full meditation. And I've, I've managed to flip through and read some of it. Obviously, I didn't, I didn't finish it all in a week. I probably could have if I tried that hard, but I didn't, unfortunately. But I definitely did pick it up. And there, there's a few key things that he said in there that I'll share here that I think are absolutely uh applicable to what I am facing now. I think the most important thing that I've read so far is the very first quote that I will share. And that is simply, it is not death a man should fear, but he should fear never beginning to live. Why I say that's most important is because I have certainly lived. And this ties directly into one of my greatest fears, which is, or not my greatest fears, excuse me, my greatest regrets, which is not the things I've done. My greatest regrets are always around the things I didn't do. And I'm aware of that. And I think Aurelius is sort of reflecting this here. So the goal is to live a life that's full. To live it well. Because it's the only life you're going to get. And never beginning to live is indeed a far worse curse than having to die. And when it comes to death, Aurelius also said, again, another simple quote I'll share, death smiles at us all. All we can do is smile back. Having insurance that I have lived, maybe this is where I need to apply some focus. I need to not run or fight. 
but smile back at that cold, empty abyss. Perhaps knowing I have lived and live well will lead me to this ability. But it will need a lot of work for me to get there. And as I work through this now, just speaking out loud, maybe that is indeed the fight that I have to engage in. To appreciate the life I have lived. And with that, to just smile back at death. And again, death smiles at us all. All we can do is smile back. So that brings us to the end, more or less, of this week's podcast. I want to thank everyone who's listening for being a listener. Uh, And to remind everyone who's listening, being a listener is a lot like recovery. And I can say this because I've been in recovery (laughs) Listening is a step process. Step one is you admit you like the podcast. Now, my step two in this is do whatever you want. Go to a bar and get completely hammered. Or go volunteer at a doggy no-kill shelter. Or stay home and work and make it a whole eat pancakes day. Just just eat pancakes all day long just just gorge yourself until and, and watch Netflix series maybe do that while you're doing it eating pancakes so at the end of the day when the sun's coming down and the illumination is mainly coming from Netflix your coffee table is just scattered with the endless disaster of, of pancakes and piled up upon each other and smothered in oh god mayonnaise? No. What do people smother pancakes in? Well, I'd have to Google that. Why can't I think of the word? Oh my god, duh. Smother your pancakes. Hold on. Syrup. Yes, syrup. I'm sorry. Smother your pancakes and syrup. Oh my God, did I say mayonnaise? That's okay. I'll cut that out later. Anyway. So, that's only the second step. Do whatever you want. Step three is to follow the podcast. Step four is to turn on notifications. And the most important step is step five. It's very important. It's to proselytize. 
is to share this podcast with others and make sure your friends, your family, your community, if they have a little interest, have a chance to listen in as well. (laughs) But in all seriousness, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And I will talk to you all next week.